welcome to Useful Idiots. I'm your host, Katie Halper. And I'm Matt Taibbi. And we're really excited to be talking to Will Menneker today, one of the hosts of Chapo Trap House. It's going to be really funny. Yeah. And uh, we're back and we're, the viewer can't see this, but we're on a clock now. Yeah. The, the dictum has come from, we love Useful Idiots, but just less of it. So yeah, exactly. Yeah. This is shorter Useful Idiots yeah. is what this, this is. Yeah, so. less Useful Idiots. You're right. So just to tie up some loose ends from a couple of shows ago, we talked about uh, merch and during the show, I ordered some Trump drinking straws because liberal paper straws suck. So we got them, and you're actually using one right now. So We'll uh, recycle it, though. Yeah, we'll recycle it. So four food groups are only four stewards in the universe. There's Republicans suck, Democrats suck. Isn't that weird? Isn't that horrible? I guess we should start. Republicans suck this week. Uh, Jim Jordan wrote a letter, the Republican, to Elijah Cummings, to the House Oversight Committee, complaining, uh, basically, this is a classic example of how how things spin out of control in the press. Basically, he wrote a letter to Elijah Cummings worrying that certain congressional lawmakers had traveled to Mexico. And basically the implication was that people like uh, Texas Congresswoman Veronica Escobar had traveled to Mexico and had given instructions to people down on the, bo- uh, on the border as to how to evade uh, U.S. customs and border security. And so that he writes this letter, and, and part of the letter asks whether or not the this democratic congressional coalition was quote unquote coaching migrants to get past security but within like 10 minutes that story turned into tweets from people like Jenny Beth Martin who is the co-founder of Tea Party Podcasts and the 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 tweet says elected officials coaching migrants on how to exploit US laws in other words you pose a question in a letter, right. but then, like within a, you know a couple of iterations, it turns into a fact right. that the Democrats went down there and they were coaching yeah. immigrants as to how to illegally immigrate. It's like uh, one step beyond some say. Some say I've heard a couple people say. Some say that uh, it's a sour grapes book. Some people say. Some people say. Some people say it's just too violent. There's too much blood. Some people. Some say exactly. Yeah. Then next thing you know, a couple of news stories later, the some say is gone, and then it becomes right. a thing. And yeah. that's this is this is sort of how fake news starts. And you know as ridiculous as the immigration story was this is a classically you know shameless yeah. uh, sort of right wing that'll thing. get picked so, up i'm sure right yeah exactly. so there's that what do we yeah. got for democrats suck? for democrats suck we get to return to one of my favorites uh near tandon turns out that the uh think progress website which is the website for the think tank center for american progress they shut down their website and then they fired everyone and then they relaunched so that was interesting. But why did they do that, Katie? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Right, yeah, yeah. They hired scabs. The I'm sorry. Right, I really yeah. buried the lead. You <laughs> see? They're, they're paying me. Cap is, is paying me. So on Friday, um, Navin Nayak, who's the executive director of the Center for American Progress Action Fund, announced the end of Think Progress as an independent enterprise focused on original reporting, citing the challenging trends in digital news media that have undermined so many iconic outlets which he said made it unsustainable for a nonprofit like CAP to continue supplementing it. And according to the Daily Beast, Think Progress was looking at a $3 million deficit in 2019, due in part to a shortfall in advertising. However, many former Think Progress staff members accused CAP of lying about its reasons for shuttering the site, calling it a form of union busting intended to end editorial independence. Those criticisms only increased after the announcement Monday. Think Progress's statement on Twitter was heavily ratioed with just 36 retweets, 93 likes, and more than 1,500 replies, the overwhelming number of them calling current Think Progress and CAP staff scabs. Okay, 
The St. Progress Union is part of the Writers Guild of America East, and they said, we were blindsided by the revelation that CAP intends to continue operating the Think Progress site with its own labor and use the Think Progress social media accounts to promote the, that work. Our editorially independent unionized labor powered the impactful journalism at Think Progress. To take away our independent voice and use the wide audience built by the Think Progress Union staff is an affront to the Think Progress mission. So that's interesting for a couple of reasons. One is that for a while people have been saying that uh, CAP, Center for American Progress, which is run by Neera Tandon, who's a big friend of Hillary Clinton's and right. a big Bernie basher and a basher of lots of people, including you, including me. Yeah, Neera Tandon, I feel like she's like, like the, in Young Frankenstein, you know how you hear a horse whinnying every time. Yeah. That, yeah, so that for me, that Neera Tandon is like the person whose name on Twitter, like I, I hear the horse yeah, whinnying exactly. sound every time. An interesting anecdote is that Faz Shakir, who was, I think, the executive editor of Think Progress. He now works for Sanders. Uh, there's a story about how he asked Hillary Clinton a question, and at the end of that event, where he asked Hillary Clinton a question, Nira came over to him and like punched him in the chest. She punched him in the chest? Yeah. Like, really punched him or playfully punched him? Like, I don't ah. know. I th the thing was between the two. Because huh. I don't think he was that amused. Like, I don't right. think it was a good, it wasn't like a, oh, she was like, why'd you ask her that? Huh. Yeah. Interesting. And then, of course, the New York Times wrote this piece about her, and they quoted her mom. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah her Always mom a good really, source. Yeah, it was a good source, yeah. No, and we're going to be talking to Will Menneker from Chapo yes. Trap House later, and it, this, to me, is a classic sort of, like, Democratic schism. This, this is the wing of the Democratic Party that is just, they blare on and on about how much the, you know, the way to political success is to support unions. And then they turn exactly, around and fire yeah. their unionized right, right. staff and replace them with scabs. Like, that's the plan. Maybe they're showing, not telling. Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Really good, yeah. Uh, for Isn't That Horrible, um, I feel like you could do a Fukushima story basically every week uh, because it's so terrible. But the uh, Japan's environment minister, uh, Yoshiaka Harada, told a news, news briefing this week in, in Tokyo that um, they're running out of space to store the radiated water. So by 2022, they're going to have to just start putting it into the ocean. So I was wondering what what was the plan until then? Were they going to ask every citizen? Like in other words, they don't have enough space to hold the, the, the this poisonous water, right. radioactive water, on site. You know, so what was the plan? You know, I mean, were they going to just ask you know every person in Japan to like hold just a ladle cup full some or something of it? Like that? Yeah. yeah, exactly. It's crazy. Have some soup. So then they just they make this announcement. They're like, okay, well, we don't have a solution, so we're just going to put it in the ocean and just sort of work it out. So that's what, happening, which is great. What could they do with it? I mean, obviously, scientists have thought of this, but they can't, like, put it into blocks of something? I think they, they're just drawing a blank at this point. Like, we got nothing. That, that's basically what they're, what they're saying is, yeah, we, we, we tried. We don't have anything, so this is going to happen. And, you know, we've already seen, like, the, you know, wines bottled in California already have, like, heightened oh uh, radiation levels. So, like, what's going to happen after this? It's, uh, it's They need terrible. to get Elizabeth Warren in there. With a plan. She'll have a plan. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, okay. Exactly. So, so what's what's what do we have in this? So, this isn't that weird? Is a very interesting story about a guy named Hitler Romano. <laughs> I mean, sorry, a guy named Romano Hitler. Okay, Romano Lucas Hitler, who claims to be Hitler's last living relative, was convicted for sexually harassing a minor. So, it was a thirteen-year-old girl. Um, the father of this 13-year-old girl complained he had put a garage up for sale and Hitler answered the advert. But when he turned up, he didn't seem to have much interest in the garage, only on Ania, his daughter. He lured her to his flat with sweets, brought her clothes and plastic flowers and even offered to marry her. Clothes and plastic flowers? Yeah. Does that work? 
Apparently. Okay. He said it was uh, innocent. Uh, he just wanted, I wanted to spend free time with her. They were just harmless welcome kisses, which is like disgusting. So a judge found, though, that he had kissed the girl against her will on the neck and cheeks. But that's not even the weird part, okay? That's me- that's bad. That goes under, isn't that horrible? Right. The weird part is this guy is probably lying about being related to Hitler. So, like, what makes you do that? Most people would try to hide their Hitler relationship, but right. he actually is, is creating it. He says that his parents settled in Slovakia after fleeing East Germany during its communist era. He was raised in a monastery and adopted into a Polish family. And uh, he says that his father was the grandson of Adolf Hitler's father, Alois's younger brother. He says that it's been hard for him to get a job. And he said, it's my cross to bear. But, you know... He doesn't have to have the name Hitler. And this was really weird. They didn't even mention this. He has a bald head and a lion tattooed on his head. A lion tattoo. Okay. It's like he has a lion tattoo on his head. Also, apparently, if you go to his house, he has a photo of Hitler on the wall and Angela Merkel, which is nice. But also, lest you think he's like a German nationalist, he also has a picture of Osama bin Laden. Bin Laden and Hitler on the walls? Mm Mm-hmm. And Merkel. Don't forget Merkel. Can you imagine going for a job? My name is Romano Hitler and look at my lion tattoo and my bald head. And would you like to see some photos of my apartment where I'm hanging a picture of Hitler, Merkel, and Bin Laden? And I have a record for sexually harassing a minor. Right, exactly. Yeah. But I'm really good at data entry. Right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's terrible. All right. Well, this is kind of a little bit of a slow news week, but one thing that happened that we should talk about just because it's incredibly funny is the sort of ongoing so we, a couple of weeks ago we talked about the brett stevens fiasco with the bed bug which right. which like continued to be a thing after that uh where the new york times columnist brett stevens freaked out because somebody on twitter in a tweet that was like viewed by or liked by nine people uh called him a bed bug and so after that whole affair there was a really funny column that was written on slate by ashley feinberg and it was called new york times columnist versus the haters and the, the essence of this, of this story, Ashley basically uh, catalogs all the different instances of New York Times columnists writing long, sort of windy, uh, pseudo-intellectual screeds against the sort of haters on the internet and all the terrible things that they're doing and how they have too much power now. She goes back and she, she goes through each and every one of them, and they're hilarious. I mean, Brett Stevens has... Uh, a whole bunch of these, like he called Twitter the porn of politics. And this was way back in 2017 he, when he first promised to leave Twitter 26 months ago. And then Frank Bruni wrote one. It was called An Abomination, A Monster, That's Me. And that was about, you know, loonies on the internet who, the sort of subtext is that the only people who should have voices right. are New York Times columnists. And then Barry Weiss did one, and Stevens did another one. So after Ashley chronicles all of this and basically says New York Times columnists have been writing the same ridiculous, hypersensitive column for, you know, years and years and years. She puts that out there and David Brooks writes basically like a literary masterpiece in, in the first person. That's like his attempt to do notes from the underground. Mm. Uh, but he, he, he does a column called, and now a word from a fanatic inside the mind of an internet extremist and the whole idea of the column is it starts off i am a sick man i am a spiteful man i'm an unattractive man i believe my liver is diseased so he's sort of picturing the twitter hater who who has a voice now and shouldn't it's unbelievable so the the punchline is 
after being right. sort of called out for doing this, uh, they do it again. It was just hilarious. Yeah, I wonder if he if he like saw it and subconsciously wanted to provide a really good example. Right. Yeah. No. And this is the that's the ultimate example. Right. And Brooks's columns are hilarious because they are always sort of like transparently literary. Like he's always trying to do something that like we all learned in high school and right. like we should have left in high school. Yeah. Right. You like know, Cap showing not telling. Yeah. Like ex- ex- exactly. He does this whole column. He talks about the idea is the ordinary Twitter person is like socially isolated and and is lashing out because of things that have happened in his life. So yeah, so so he writes, adults in my life have not been trustworthy. Friends have not been trustworthy. Women reject me. I pass through school unseen. You have no idea how ill-equipped I am to deal with my pain. I was raised in that coddling way that protects you from every risk except real life. it's clearly, he's kind of talking about himself yeah, a little a pro- bit, a lot right? Of projection, but, yeah, yeah it's just a has projecting. a job, just has a well-paying job. Yeah, exactly. So the thing about this is, is like, if you work in the media, uh, everybody gets abused on, on social media. Right. I mean, this is part of the job now. Like, you have to get, and and a lot of it is organized. There's like there are paid trolls in there who are who are trying to wind you up, who are trying to spread rumors about you and lies about you. This is part of the business now. But the fact that they keep going, that they they actually think that this is like a real huge, gigantic international political problem right. that like people you know say mean things about David Brooks and Brett Stevens right. on Twitter. I mean, they they say mean things about all of us. But yeah, it's like you know, it's not a thing. You yeah. Know? They yeah, they try to use civility right. instead of Paul. I mean, their entire political horizon is how they're treated online. Right. Yeah. Exactly. That's how out of touch they are. Yeah. I, I hate to go back to this, but Brooks, this this whole style, it reminds me of. Um, you ever see the movie Love and Death, the Woody, Woody Allen movie? Yes. There, there's a scene where he Woody is a, he's now like a retired uh, lord in russia and mm-hmm. he's, he's living on his estate and he's trying to think of something to do with his life and he decides to try out poetry so he starts scribbling i should have been a pair of ragged claws scuttling across silent seas then he goes nah too sentimental and he like crosses it out and throws it away like that's what a normal rational person does when you catch yourself being pretentious right, and literary you you just out. like throw it out right. and like forget it this is what doesn't happen to you when you've been right. he, in the New York Times op-ed page for too long. You, you start to think that like everything you write actually is, you know, really, really right. good. Instead of throwing it out, you throw it to your editor at the New York Times. Yeah, exactly. Put, this, is the, this is the yeah. second example of, you know, the Brett Stevens editor should have like should have sort of laid down the law. Look, dude, I think you should leave the bed bug thing alone. Right. And yeah. Or his is, wife. Or his or, wife, yeah. yeah, exactly. This is another example where you know you, you submit a column and you you would hope that your editor in that case says you know I I don't think you should do Diary of a Madman uh, you know as as a Twitter uh, hater or something else you know right but they just kind of zoom it through. I mean, this isn't limited to the the Times, but that is where I feel like they've really perfected it. Right, that's yeah. where it's like a really an art. In fact, David Brooks should stick to that. Just like if we see Brooks as art and his output as unintentional art, then it's good. Right. Yeah, exactly. Has Friedman done one? I don't know. Has he? Friedman, who starts all of his columns with so... I was in a cab. That's actually, I've never I noticed that. Yeah, That's great. I got to credit Ben Norton. He's yeah. the one who said that to me on my show once. All right, so we're going to be talking in a little bit to Will Menneker from yeah. Chapo Trap House, who we're both you know very familiar with. We, we go back, uh, we have both have background with that uh, excellent podcast. One of the themes of, that we're going to talk about, and it's apropos to his career and the whole rise of Chapo and everything, is the whole idea that there's a, a schism within the Democratic Party, and this is sort of still being litigated four years later. And there was a little bit of news on this front because this week, because 
because um, a story appeared in Politico basically saying that Hillary and Elizabeth oh, Warren right. have been in contact with each other. No, in itself, it's not much of a story, but there there have been some whispers on that front throughout. This idea that the like, where is the Clinton wing of the party going to throw their weight? Right. Um, in you know, in the next year or so, and really, you know, it's obviously not going to be Biden for for obvious reasons. So yeah. it's beginning to look like that's that's where that whole crew is going to end up you know backing which is interesting because they weren't at the beginning of yeah. the race right they were i think pretty Har- harrison harrisonian harrisonian Kamalian, yeah yeah, right? yeah exactly and then there was money that poured into Budicic, but yeah. his campaign didn't work out so it looks like this is where the dynamic is going to go i mean or at least that's a question that's, that's starting starting to be asked now is like is is that where is that where this this group is going to be yeah and that, of course people don't know chapo was like what one of the most successful podcast on the left what's interesting about chapo is is they started off basically they were just a bunch of you know comedians and you know who's twitter who started, people twitter people yeah. who started riffing on politics in a really in an interesting funny way and who, who didn't kind of fit into the you know normal conception of what a politics show was about because they their opinions were a little bit off you know off kilter they didn't kind of fit into the msnbc framework right. and among other things because of that they became vilified uh, towards the end of the 2016 political cycle because to the sort of regular Democrats, they represented something that was negative, this sort of rise of the, you know, quote unquote, dirtbag left. Uh, and I think at the time, people thought this was going to be a temporary phenomenon. But four years right. later, it, you know, it clearly isn't. You know, and I think that's part of what people like Brooks are reacting to is this idea that people. Yeah, like the democratiza- democratization of a certain level of media right. or giving voice to, to certain people or yeah, the fact that they're so popular. Right. And of course, one of the things that the people have done to like silence them has been using this Bernie bros narrative, which we'll have to talk about in another episode. But just like they talk about being rude on, online, you know, like with David Brooks and it's just it's not even true anymore the narrative we now know it's not even true demographically but that's something that you know people don't really want to respond to their politics so they just say that they're misogynist bros another thing that drives me crazy almost every story about Chapo points out that they make money Oh, yeah. Patreon. I get this, too, by the way, because I have my podcast has Patreon. It's all about being on Patreon. You're just for being on Patreon as if they were not hiding it. Right. Yeah. And then, you know, they they always say they oh, they make they make so much money per, per, per podcast. Do we ever like blood do, money? Yeah. Do we talk about how how much you know David Brooks uh, makes? Yeah, or you know any any columnist they, they make real money. They make a lot of money. And, right. And so yeah. do we have somebody else who makes money that's like bad. I don't understand that. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. I mean, I guess you could you could theoretically say okay, they're socialists, so that's that's a thing. Right. But, but that's you know, such a we still live in the capitalist world system. Yeah. So, that's yeah. a topic for another so time. Dumb, but yeah, they, you know, they, they've always said that about Chapo, and and that that drives me nuts when people do that. Yeah. Like it's like it's a bad thing. It's a good thing. You know, the, the yeah. landscape should be a little bit more diverse. So uh, without any further ado let's bring on will sounds good all right welcome back to useful idiots and we are joined by will, will Maniker. Maniker. hello trap house joy to be here how are you guys doing <laughs> good, <laughs> great so we both have kind of a unique connection to chapo right well full disclosure i feel like i have to be transparent about yeah this. go for it um you and i are something cousins my cousin is married to your cousin i don't technically it makes us kin Kin, we're kin that's, folk. That's that's what it means. We're definitely kin. Yeah. yeah, our cousins are married to right, each our other. Our cousins are married to each other. Yeah, uh, you did not attend the wedding. I was in, I think, Chicago at the time yeah. doing the show. Yeah, so. I held it down for both yeah. of us. 
You were mentioned though. I oh, told really? You, yeah, I told my uncle mentioned you because he was talking about like the connections between the families and all the people that were too big to be yeah, here. Exactly, yeah, yeah, exactly. He cursed you. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was nice. Uh, you also hosted the first ever Chapo live show. That yeah. was the first time me, Matt, and Felix were ever in the same room together yeah. at the same time. Star Wait, is that moment. How did that work? You'd never met before? Oh, we had met each other individually, I see, like okay. every combination, but we had all three of us had never been in the same room right. before. Wow. It was unclear yeah. if they all existed. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, because Matt lived in uh, uh, Cincinnati at Cincinnati the time. Then, yeah. So yeah. And Felix had just moved to the city. Yeah. yeah. So how are you doing this? Were you doing the show? Like, we were remote? doing the show like, yeah, like we, originally we would just all talk over like a Google Hangout and record our own audio tracks and then just like stitch them together. Oh, okay. Yeah. It took a while before we were like all just you know, in the same room right. recording on studio mics and yeah. things like that. Excellent. Yeah. Really you know, that was one of your first guests too, right? Yes, yeah, yes, yeah. you were. Oh, you were right. our first, Matt, you were our first like big get, you know, that was like, <laughs> I was super nervous about that one. And then like, no, you're not. While, while, while doing the interview, like uh, my Google Hangout just like cut oh. out and like, I, I was like out of that interview for like two minutes scrambling to get back on, but I, I seamlessly played it off. Like, wow, uh, I didn't yeah. notice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, the, the Taibia made us. It was like Latanza heist. <laughs> nice. <Hey>, Jimmy! <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Or Air France, I should say. That's yeah, the Air France. Yeah, the Air France, 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 France yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. We are the security. You're looking at Yeah, them. yeah. Yeah. Um, so that was four years ago. That was at the beginning of the... Yeah, the, God, it was like the, yeah, three oh or four gosh. years ago. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I remember that was right in the... Well, it was in two, 2016, it was, right? Yeah, we, we started going, like, I think April 2016. And I guess, like, you know, we sort of took off, like, as the, the Democratic, you know, primary was in 2014. I mean, in 2016, rather. And uh, here we are again. Right. Coming up on 2020. Wow. Uh, basically... Same same shit going on. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Yeah. I mean, I I, I don't want to be repetitive or whatever. But, I know they're you know. always like, don't relitigate the primary. It's like, well, the no, lessons it, haven't really been learned by a lot of people, so we have to. There's been no verdict rendered. The yeah. case is just ongoing. Yeah, it, exactly. I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, this is still a, a thing, right? Crap. The big democratic yeah. schism. I mean, do, do you, you were one of the Chapo was one of the first shows that really kind of put a face on the whole idea that there were two different wings of the Democratic right. Party, yeah. I mean, I think, it was, uh, you know, Vince Lombardi said luck is the residue of skill. I think, you know, <laughs> it's just luck is the residue of being in the right place at the right time. And, uh, yeah, when we started doing it, uh, it didn't seem like we were, you know, staking out some, you know, hugely needed uh, position. Right. It just seemed like this is what we believed, uh, just... You know, like the idea that Hillary Clinton and the Democrats are like, you know, sort of risable figures didn't seem like, you know, Hugely a, a huge lift or contra anything controversial. Right. But lo and behold, we found out, yeah, like not only was there like a, a big audience for that, particularly among people who are into comedy and politics and looking for, you know, uh, I, don't know I guess it's broadly it's political satire or whatever that. Right. And it, but like also not from like a. a a, a, a bogus sort of uh, well both sides are right. wacky yeah. clowns to the left right. of me jokers to the yeah. right clowns to the left of me jokers to the right here I am stuck in the middle with you right like that kind of thing that had like kind of a, a strong point of view but uh, yeah I mean like I guess the schism in the Democratic Party is still there but if you look at the platforms of all of the 2020 right. Democratic candidates I mean, I guess it's progress that it's like vastly more to the left than Hillary Clinton ran in 2016. Sure. And I think that's all due to Bernie Sanders. Yeah. I mean, whether I'll, they're I'll good for any of it him. is an, another open question. Right. But I mean, I find that really 
amazing. The the platform has moved so dramatically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and if you go out in the, you know, I mean, you were in Iowa, right? Yeah, you listen, yeah. You listen to all the candidates. They're basically all, I mean, they sound like Bernie in 2000. 15, yeah. 2016, a lot, uh, almost everything they're saying, but without the accent. with the exception of like John Delaney and like Michael Bennett right, right. and yes. like Kink and Looper, and I think half of them have already dropped out. But right. like you know, like the 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 top tier, Elizabeth Warren, Kamala Harris, even you know Joe Biden has to try to affect something that is like a simulacra right. of a kind of populist uh, platform. Right, yeah, even his his launch speech was all about, you know, taking on, uh, re- rejecting the corporate donors or something like yeah, that. That was yeah. part of his thing, but... Uh, Maybe but, that's why his eye was leaking blood, because he yeah, was, like, no, you straining, keep he was that, straining yeah. so hard. Right, right. I mean, that was... Someone's, someone's got to stop this, like... He's Godzilla. Joe Biden, like, it's... It's not funny anymore, like, right. it's the people <laughs> around him who are making him do this... He confused uh, Angela Merkel with Margaret Thatcher yeah. the other day. I saw day. that. I saw like, you tweeting about that. That was uh, that's not easy. And yeah. you know, I mean, it, it. I know it's like an easy thing to do, but it really does reveal like the contours of like how our politics is policed by the media. Could you imagine if Bernie Sanders oh was struggling to complete a sentence yeah. regularly? And then, like, making those kinds of gaffes that are just, like, your brain fitzing. Or you just, Joe Biden starts a sentence, and then, like, he's going, going, and then 30 seconds into it, he'll just, like, Yield his wheels time. will spin out to- in totally. It's amazing. And then his <laughs> eyes starts bleeding live on national television. <laughs> this would be the, like, Bernie Sanders would be, would be the end of his campaign. Absolutely. Overnight, without yeah. a, without question. Yeah, yeah I mean, he'd be forced into a retirement home. And the funny thing not about just the, not allowed to run. the eye bleeding thing is when that happened, I was like, I, it was just, like, of a random evening, uh, me and my girlfriend were just watching a movie. You know, I spent two hours without looking at my phone, you know, pat myself on the back right. there. And then I, you know, it's over. I look at my phone and I'm like, this is a Photoshop, right? <laughs> Joe Biden's eye didn't start yeah. bleeding on television, right? And then I start looking around to confirm that it's not just some wind up. And like the only people who were covering it at the time were the right wing media. Right. It was only the Daily Caller and like DC Examiner and Washington Times and like those types of outlets. And I swear to God, I spent the whole next day looking at the New York Times and the Washington Post for any mention of that in the climate oh forum. And none of them talked yeah, about it. Insane. Yeah. It's bizarre. It's like uh, the Soviet Union in 1928, where like <laughs> yeah. Trotsky has been carefully yeah. etched out of it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They cropped some, they, uh, Copied and pasted something over it. Yeah, a white thing. You you were comparing him to Vincent the Chin Gigante. Yeah, right? yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly. Thing. He's crazy like a fox. Right. He's lulling everyone into a false sense of security, so that when you know when it, this Thursday debate, he's bringing out the real Biden. Yeah, he's going to come with the should, zingers. <laughs> the zingers. He's that's gonna, right. He's going to be sharp. He's going to be articulate. He's going to be clear-headed. And, until then, he's going to walk around in a bathroom. <laughs> in a bathroom, right? yeah, just yeah. peeing in his neighbor's lawn. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Not that's shaving. So <laughs> he's actually hilarious. Um, we should do a mashup of all his gaffes, but um, I mean, who it was it saying? The whole show, though. That's I know you're right. We don't have the time, but you know, this is a like a gem that hasn't really been exposed a lot. But uh, he did mention Shylocks. Do you remember that? Joe Biden. Yeah. No. He's like a bunch of Shylocks. Yeah. He was talking about like predatory lenders <laughs> or something. Yeah. Which I just feel like that was an unsung, un- underexposed moment. Okay. And we should definitely put that in. Yeah, I mean, it depends on what context you use the word shy. Like, unless you're, you're saying, oh, in, in high school, in the I studied of Venice. Yeah, exactly. of Venice. I was just, right. You said that. I was just imagining yeah. Trump talking about 
Folks, I have very good relations with merchants. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> They're wonderful. They got an excellent deal. A pound of flesh. Well, we did. Last last yeah. time we played, uh, a couple episodes ago, we played audio of him like riffing at the Republican Jewish Coalition. And he's like, they're a bunch of, are you guys good negotiators? I'm good negotiator. I've never <laughs> been in a room with such good negotiators. I think they're good negotiators here, am I right? It was hilarious. Funny, because it's true. Absolutely. Um, and also, you were talking about the niche that you guys fill. And another thing is, of course, that you're irreverent and funny, but from the left. So there's mm-hmm. a lot of that from the right. It's not funny, but they pretend to be. I um, think it's just, the, the, it like, it's part of, like, they all give themselves the same jobs. And they, like, if you're one of the 20 weirdos on your campus of 50,000, right. like, wearing a bow tie and yeah. is, like, sincerely committed to conservative politics at 18 or 19, yeah. like, there will not just be a job for you at some think tank or some, you know, uh, David Koch, RIP-funded uh, right. right. outlet, you will also get the added benefit of everyone agreeing that you're actually very edgy and dangerous and funny right. at the right. same sure. time. Yeah, it's just mean-spirited, basically, is what not even is. Uh, Not even that. Like, you don't think I, I mean, that? Well, of course they're mean-spirited just like by nature of their souls. But right. like, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with being mean-spirited. Against the right people. Well, I mean, just in general. The bad people. <laughs> but, oh, yeah. No, it's just like anything that uh, like so loudly announces that like, I'm edgy and dangerous is just like the most bland, anodyne sure, garbage yeah. imaginable. But as you've said, and I mean, this is a big debate, uh, you know, this does fill, uh, there are people who are disaffected looking for something irreverent, entertaining, and this fills that from the left as opposed to from the right. Whether or not, like without mm-hmm. having a referendum on the humor, it's right. still, well, also I think the, there are the people cl- up for grabs. The who Clintonian you guys get, Democrats are deeply unfunny, aren't they? Yeah. Oh, I mean, yeah, no, yeah, they, they don't get yeah. enough stick for being like as brutally unfunny as, like, you know, I don't know, like the, the Daily Wire crowd right, or like, yeah, you know, yeah. right wing. Except for Hillary's joke about comedians. Pokemon go out to the polls. That was and funny. That was funny. Yeah, that was a great moment, yeah. Yeah, then um, you called you called George Will a, like a he was like a standard bow tie dipshit or something. Yeah, like that. yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. They've but, mutated into like other other forms. Right, right isn't right, he right. part of the resistance with Jennifer the, Rubin? The Pokemon have uh, evolved. They've all leveled up in various <laughs> ways since the 2016 election. Oh, like like John Bolton. I know. John yeah. Bolton just R. got R. fired today. Uh, he's going to be a member in good standing. Yeah, in like a the week. resistance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he's going to be. I, he's going to be rehabbed. He's going to be on MSNBC and the Washington Post. Maybe saying, "How dare you, sir?" Yeah. Right, right. He's going to have his own panel show. Yeah. Like, yeah. Right, right, yeah. Be, before, in between Rachel and Lawrence O'Donnell. Yeah, right? exactly. He's, uh, he's, he's what would it be called? What would the Bolton the show? Walrus be called? The Walrus Factor. <laughs> Doesn't it look like a walrus? I don't mean to be. Or how about just I am the walrus? I'm the walrus. Yeah, I like it. I'm the walrus. Yeah. No, but you know, just like decent. Sane conservatives like John Bolton, you know, I right. think we need to side with him right. against this dangerous, unhinged president. Yeah, that we have. Right, he looks right, like right. a peacenik next to John Bolton, right? He really right. does. He's like the the peaceful wing of the totally bellicose, belligerent, hawkish. Well, there's some party. kind of uh, celebrity math thing going on with him, Kurt Vonnegut, and Twain. I think. Oh right? yeah, I can't figure. It's like it's like a times point three or something like that. <laughs> like mustache. Right. Yeah. Back to the stash issue. Yeah. 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 But uh, remember, he there's a story about him banging really hard on someone's hotel door in the middle of the night. When a federal contractor criticized a deal Bolton was working on, she said Bolton threw a tape dispenser at her, shouted threats, chased her down a Moscow hotel hallway, pounded on her door, and generally behaved like a madman. Which is easily the second worst thing a member of this administration has done in a Russian hotel. Imagine looking yeah. in that key. That <laughs> I know, people. and just yeah. seeing the bristle, the, right, the, right. the tusk or whatever. 
So how do you think, I mean, how do you think this is going to play out with the Democrat? I mean, one of the things I like about what you've been saying all along throughout this entire campaign cycle, because I thought the same thing early on, was that um, in the end, this is ultimately going to be kind of about Bernie versus Warren, right? Yeah. And oh, yeah. and I think, you know, initially the kind of conventional wisdom take on this election is, oh, Warren and Bernie are competing for this one sort of narrow slice of the electorate that is, you know, roughly speaking, the, you know, the, the Bernie wing from last time. And then there's going to be this big fight for the for the establishment lane between Harris and Biden. But I don't think it's going to play out that way. Do you? I think it's going to end up with. No, I think um, I think it's probably going to be I think Warren and Bernie are the ones that are going to go the, the distance. Like, I think Joe Biden, for obvious reasons, it's very hard for right. me to imagine that he's going to be the nominee. Right. Right. Very hard for me to imagine. And and if the Democrats do do that, it will be a, di- a, a disaster. Yeah. Right. It will be a disaster. It'll only be funny for the first couple of minutes. Uh, and then it's you know, torn about really that. I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I th- like, I'm Which, not making like confident, but I think basically any Democrat could beat Trump and any Democrat could lose yeah, to him. I, I mean, I I think that's more, like, yeah. it just, it all, it all depends on who they nominate and how they run a campaign. Um, but I think, I think what we're seeing now is Biden, I think a lot of people are beginning to hedge on him because he's, you know, going yeah. a bit doolally in the, in the in the brain. And I think Kamala is kind of a choker. Like, I mean, look at Kamala's entire staff were just all the losers from the Clinton campaign. <laughs> so, like, that, if that's evidence of, I mean, I, I, it's hard for me to imagine that she's going to. But I think Warren is uh, for real. Right. And I think she's going to go the distance. And I really think it is going to be Warren against Bernie. And I think that the... The money and the the sort of the the party grandees are going to begin to coalesce around Warren as the more palatable option, right? And you and you tweeted about this as well too, because there have been kind of signs all the way through that that was going to happen. Remember, there was that piece in Politico a while ago where they quoted one of Joe Lieberman's speechwriters. There was a whole thing about how Warren yeah. was emerging as the consent, the the compromise right. choice. Yeah, yeah. And you, and you keep doing this. You keep talking about how this is another endorsement for Bernie every time. Exactly. One of right. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. He has that listicle of people right. who evil people have endorsed him. By the way, I would have to announce this because it's very important historically speaking. I met, I met him. I finally met him. Got my photo taken with him. Who? Bernie. With Bernie. Oh yeah. With Daddy. Yeah. yeah. Uncle Uncle Bernie. Amo Bernie. As the uh, as the Arab speaking people call him, that sounds like I'm, I'm like I've never really met him, but I stood uh, very close to him in Iowa. Yeah. at the uh, at the press uh, scrum. It was actually the second time I met him, but the first time I was like a drive by, like I kind of ambushed him because I was at the Sanders Institute and Jenk Uger was interviewing him, and I happened to have my microphones out because I was unsuccessfully trying to interview Hadij Hadaji, the Brazilian, you know, the, the man who lost to Bolsonaro. Mm-hmm. And so right after, I was like doing the audio for them, and then right after that, I asked him a question, and he was like really busy, and you know, his crotchety menchy way mm-hmm. that he is. And this time, I was at this event in Brooklyn, and I, we all got on the selfie line, and I went up to him, and I said, I write about you for fair. And then they took the photos, right? And then he goes, so you write for fair? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I wrote about Sidney Ember and I wrote this piece about MSNBC. He's like, I saw it, thank you. And I was like, because with other politicians, they would just say that even if they hadn't seen it, but Sanders wouldn't. That's one of his like things. You know, if he hadn't read it, he'd be like, yeah, or, or they'd be like, you like, I, I write for fair, and they'd be like, yes, yeah, journalism should be yes, fair. Yes, exactly. Right. Yeah. Support, yeah. Right, right, support right. fairness. Yeah. Yes. He's, like fairness, I think you yeah, mean, yeah. Ms. Yeah, ma'am. Uh, yeah, so. Anyway, that was great. That's great. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, 
good photo too, thank God. Imagine if it had been a bad photo, I would have been so torn. That's what, when you're a woman, I'm generalizing, but that's a thing. It's like, even when you're a feminist, the content is one thing and the form is another. In a way, it isn't for men. So honestly, if it had been an unflattering photo, I'm not sure I would have shared it. No, I sympathize with that because like uh, some of our earliest like press photos we did as a joke and I had like contouring makeup on. <laughs> And we all looked like purposely stupid, but like that's the photo that is most commonly shared, yeah. and it um, kind of annoys me because right. like yeah. No, Whereas I want the contour yeah, yeah, yeah. switch. Yeah, who's your makeup artist? Um, yeah. But yeah, like to your point about Sanders and Warren, this idea that they're both competing for like a big chunk of the you know progressive wing of the party. I think what we're seeing is like as 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 it plays out, like their their bases or their their voters are actually very different groups totally. of right. people. Absolutely. And that, like, you know, Elizabeth Warren's voters are the more uh, more highly educated, sort of professional. Whiter. Uh, yeah, whiter and sort of like, I think they represent a more meritocratic right. That's part exactly of it. American society. These are the people who, this is like what, what is so, when, when the thing like that people talk about, like what they love so much about Warren, they always like her plans, right. like this is her big thing. Yeah. Her plans, she's got a plan. Not only does she have a plan, she has a plan for how to pay for it. And it's just like. It, Except okay. for healthcare, which she somehow doesn't have. Mm, that's interesting, um, and I, I think that speaks to like her appeal among the type of people who really have done the homework, you right. know, and succeeded, and like you know have have play, you know played by the rules the right way. And when you hear Warren's um, you know stump speech, or like you know when I saw her in Iowa, or you see her pitch, it's about like you know look the system isn't working for right. it's only working for a small amount of people and like the rest of us like you know we're not getting a fair deal and it's about like she has the plans and like we want to make the system work for like the people who have studied and like worked hard right. and it's about this like it's sort of a um a, a consumer model of capitalism like right. it's like it's like you, it's like your cable company's ripping you off like this is outrageous they need right. to be brought to account yeah you know and like and i think bernie speaks to this like a, a like a i'm sorry like way more class-based ideal of poli- ideal of politics where it's just like <laughs> these things like healthcare and housing and education uh should not be for people who, who are like only for like the smart people right, right. or like the people who work hard yep. or whatever it should just be like a baseline yeah expectation for everyone who's drawing a breath within the United States. Right. And like, I think he has a vision of capitalism that is more antagonism, antagonistic because he understands this is about class power. And it's not about like capitalism isn't, you know, working for the, the, mi- the middle class or whatever yeah. the way it should be. And I, you know, I think Warren is sincere, like in her beliefs. And I think a lot of, you know, her plans, if they were implemented, would be good and would ameliorate a lot of the, you know, misery in this country that would, would certainly work towards that end. But I think there is a, a market difference in not just the policies themselves, but like the overall political um, vision and, and um, just sort of how they how they, the two of them see politics. And I think that is borne out in if you look at the people who are who are voting for them, who are their voters. Right. And Bernie Sanders has a much uh, more diverse, younger and um, lower income voting base. Yeah. Uh- I want to go back to that serious discussion that we're having because I think this is actually extremely important and it's something that I think the left hasn't done, the Bernie left hasn't done a great job of articulating and I say that as, you know, part of the Bernie left, obviously, so it's not throwing shade. I just think that we do need to figure out how to talk about it because I think the way we talk about it is very, like if you understand politics or political theory or you're excited about that or about class politics, you get it. But it is hard sometimes to explain it to people because I, I know like in 2016 people would say, oh, it's for, you know, we need a woman. And be like, yeah, I would love a woman with Sanders politics. But there's such a difference between the two of them. 
you know, fight for 15, war, which are feminist issues, by the way. But there's such a difference that that's kind of a ridiculous uh, demand to make. Here, it's a little bit harder because it is almost like political theory, right? It's about their conceptions of power, their record, sure, the consistency thing. But to be honest, I don't think that's the most convincing one because I think it's good to evolve. But I have struggled with that. And I think it's one of those things that, like, if you follow politics and you have a certain conception of it, it's very obvious. But I don't know how to translate it to people who I don't. mean, okay, well, then, leaving aside their differing bases and political yes. visions, like, as someone who's, look, I'm not objective. Like, I want right, Sanders to win this primary. Right. I, I think he should be and will be our next president. Also more electable. Yeah. Well, that, okay, Trump. exactly. Yeah. Totally, I would just yeah. say I would make the electability argument. Yeah. I'm sorry. You, I think, you've, been, you've been making that. I think all Elizabeth along Warren and, yeah. is a huge liability for us in the general election. And like, I'm, I actually agree. You yeah. know, like, and it's hard to say that without being like, oh, you're being you're so mean to Elizabeth Warren yeah. or a misogynist or whatever. But I'm sorry. Like, I just do not think she has the appeal to the type of voters that the Democrats I need agree. to turn out and win in in a general election. And yeah. I think like the same thing that is so appealing to her supporters. This I'm always prepared. I did the homework kind of thing. I, don't, I really don't think that's yeah. an, uh, an appealing message yeah, to most you know, Americans. Again, the, the idea of like most people who aren't, haven't climbed the meritocratic right. ladder in this country right. and who experience this country and daily life in a much different way yes. yeah. than, um, yeah, like the sort of professional liberal class does. Yeah, I mean, a friend of mine, we talked, we talked about this in the, yeah, in the show exactly, already, yeah. that a friend of mine who sort of works in politics is talking about how Elizabeth Warren is identity politics for journalists. Because, yeah. you know, she, the reason that you know, people who do this job like her, you know, she, she's me. She's a smart aleck from Massachusetts, basically, mm-hmm. you know, and, and her, her pitch is very, like, intellectual, university educated uh, policy she, she based, sort of radiates wonky. this whole idea of like wonkiness smartness um, whereas you know Bernie I think when you, when you go to his crowds you know whether you like his policies or not they pick up on the fact that this is somebody who kind of came from mean yeah. circumstances who's not quite you know like a Princeton ivory yeah. tower kind of person I think that has a lot to do with it too don't yeah. you think I mean there's that whole if they get to a general some of that is going to come into play yeah, you know? yeah. I mean, uh, also uh, you know when I was in Iowa and I saw the you know the whole parade of all these candidates coming through and giving their some speech and then talking to the press uh, the thing you notice uh, about Bernie and this is the first time I'd seen him um, in person is that when he does his pitch or when he talks to a crowd or even when he answers questions from the media, he's the only one of these people running for the Democratic nominee, nomination that can express anger yeah. at the current at the state of this country or the people running it and anything. And not only express anger, but do it in a convincing way. Right. And like I, I think that that is hugely I'm sorry, like that's why I like him. Right. I think that's why his message resonates to a large degree, because. Um, you should be pissed off, right. and you should, and then you should not just be pissed off like vaguely at like oh those clowns in Congress, but like you should be pissed off at like very specific people, and like you need to realize that all these things that you want, all these plans, whether they're Warrens or Sanders or any Democratic nominee, they're not going to be worth anything, or they're not going to go anywhere until you identify the people, yeah, not just like the reasons, but the people, yeah. who are standing opposed, who are opposed to it, yeah, who, you have to who vilify will make the it people. so that, that it's impossible to have right. decent health insurance in this country. Mm-hmm. And the answer is, it's the health insurance industry. And Sanders is largely the only one who really expresses that. And, right, then, yeah. and then he gets that really annoying criticism of, well, you're just like Trump because you're angry. It's like, oh, he's, no, yeah, he's angry at the media. That's yeah. why you win. Like, that makes him competitive against Trump. That's what's always bizarre to me whenever that argument gets made, like the comparisons of Sanders to Trump and like all these things that he spoke, like, you know, he, he 
he singles out the media yeah. as well. Which we or, you know, so uh, during one of the debates, uh, Jake Tapper oh, asked yeah. Sanders, like, you know, Isn't, you said America can't be the world's police right. policeman. And Donald Aren't Trump has said that, like, like, you know, no, how, no. how are voters supposed to tell the difference between you two? And it's like all these things are it's just like we can't be like Trump. This is like Trump. I'm just like. You know he's he's president, right? Right. Yeah. You know he won the last election, right? Like we can't oh we can't emulate in any way, even superficially, the, like the the guy who won. And it, I'm sorry, like but if, it's if you look at these Democrats, they are really they're all gearing up to run the Hillary Clinton right. in 2016. Yeah. And you know what? Like it may work for them because Trump is like you know pretty unpopular, and maybe sure. the economy will take a turn or whatever. But they are all gearing up, like all of them, other than Sanders, are they're really. Are trying. They're going to try to run Hillary's campaign in 2016. I mean, in the, the general. Yeah, the essence of it is, you know, we're, we're technocrats, which is like a sort of a word that you know people in the right. media class they love that concept of like the sort of impartial, apolitical administrator who has who, over a course of a long career has competence in sort of fixing things without having like really wacky political ideas and so but they're but by nature that's sort of an insider's view of things mm-hmm. right because they've been on the right. inside the whole, the whole argument is we've been on the inside for so long we know how to do this right, right? whereas mm-hmm. the they don't get a sense of how it's not working for other people right and trump openly right. ran as an outsider that right. was the biggest thing that, yeah. that that worked for him and, and you know i think sanders does that on the democratic side some some of the others do too i mean y- yeah. yang you know d- does that i mean but among the, the top tier candidates Right. I mean, mm-hmm. it feels it feels like none of the others are really believable. Yes. Um, and, you know. and also the anger is something that like it's so different when you're angry and you're blaming like the healthcare industry versus blaming Muslims and Mexicans. Like that's how you reach the people who feel upset. I actually see not to I actually see a parallel between Sanders and Trump and Chapo and alt-right. I know oh it may boy. sound weird. No, oh, yeah. well, no, but that's good. Sanders obviously is good, but like there are people up for grabs, and there's this narrative that Sanders' uh, is appeal to uh, for people up to grabs somehow throws other people under the bus, which it doesn't. Like he doesn't have one single policy that is bad for people of color, LGBTQ people, so and women. This whole narrative of like the white working class standing in opposition to other working class populations. That is something, maybe it's just on Twitter, but it's pretty... I mean, it's on MSNBC, too. Yeah, I mean, yeah, like, it there's is, a, yeah. There's like a, a very conscious effort to, whenever Bernie Sanders talks about like the working class in this country, to sort of like pretend like he's subliminally yeah. adding the word white on there, right. or even word that he's talking about Trump voters. Because right. like the average Republican voter or Trump supporter in this country is not working class. Right. Read that article that BuzzFeed just did this past weekend about the bikers for Trump rally. These are all like uh, rich retirees who right, have Harleys the, as a hobby. These people have right. employees. They own property. These these are not people who yeah. are white knuckling it for the to a large degree. White knuckling it really, really well. <laughs> Can I just add one other difference between Bernie yeah. and Hillary? I mean, whoops, Bernie and and Warren. So another thing is that Bernie did not contribute to a cookbook. Do you know about this? No. A cookbook called Pow Wow Chow. Ooh. I'm not kidding. Come on, this is an onion it's story. It's not. No, it's called. Pa- and I, I don't. I'm not a Warren hater. I prefer Bernie. Right. I, I get frustrated with the way that they're they're seen as the same because there are important differences from electability to the way they see power to you know, uh, lots of things. But the Elizabeth um, Elizabeth Warren's powwow chow Cherokee recipes were so. Not only did she contribute to a, a book, a cookbook called Powwow Chow. Um, she contributed Cherokee recipes, and they were apparently word-for-word copies of famous French chefs' techniques. 
Um, so plagiarism, that goes against, the meritocrats hate that. Yeah. It's copying someone else's homework. It's exactly. very, very yeah, simple. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Um, the, the image yeah. of it is just amazing. No, but I'm sorry. The, it's uh, from 1984. Her, her DNA test thing is also very telling because, one, it's absolutely not going to go away. Yes, and it's and a it huge, shows it's a huge liability, yeah. and it also shows you she did that because Donald Trump got under her skin. Exactly, right. and it was like it was such a dumb move. Yeah, right. And she did it, and it's go- it's going to haunt her. And then like, I think there's like so, there's a Harvard Law Review article that promotes her as like one of their first like minority pr- women professors yeah. or whatever. Right. There's a lot of that stuff out there that is deeply embarrassing, and yeah. like, and I'm sorry, it makes her look terrible, and like it. Th- I'm saying she, she's a liability in the general I election. Oh, okay. I will like I, I I would I would vote for her in New York State if she is the nominee. But I'm saying right now the best possible thing Elizabeth Warren could do was a have run in 2016 yeah. and she which probably Sanders wanted which she which Sanders wanted her to do and she she could have beaten Hillary Clinton in that election. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But the most positive thing she should do now if she stands for and supports the things that she. Yeah. Her plans is drop out, endorse Bernie. I agree. Yeah, I'm sorry to say it, but if you care about the future of the country, Elizabeth, that that that's the most positive thing you can do. We're talking to you. We like you, but we have. I mean, I know, like for me, that's like just poison. I know. I'll say it. I'll I'll say say it. it. Um, I mean, if she's she's contributing to, uh, you know, her. Thoughts on Cherokee cuisine, like this is like high school. Like you, you can't. Yeah, exactly. You know, when when somebody comes up to you and gives you a hard time, you you, you can't keep doubling down on on the response to it. She's got to figure out another way to deal I, with. The, and if, if that's going to be her response to Trump, I'll get a DNA test. I'll I know. You know. Like that's just not going to work. I, you know? I do think it, it's useful to have her in for a little bit more to kind of help shift things to the left, even if it's just rhetorically. And I don't think she's like. Uh, Harris or Biden. I think that she's not as left as Sanders, but I think maybe it helps just in terms of optics and the Overton window, mm-hmm. but then she'll have to for pretty well, soon. Well, she's, she's not going to because uh, she is polling very well and she has a very uh, very well-run, smart very campaign. Well. Like they're, well. they're, they, she has very, very good professionals working for A lot of them come from Harry Reid's staff. Right. These so are exciting. like, you know, th- th- these people are not, they're no dummies. This isn't like the Harris-Biden staff. Right. Like these people are smart. Right. They know what they're doing and they're... Bernie well, has some Reid people. Bernie, yeah. Bernie has some read people yeah, as fads, well. Yeah, fads, right? Fads, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so I, it's uh, my dream scenario is unlikely to happen. And I here's the thing though: Warren would not be pulling this well if Sanders wasn't in the race. She, they would all be ganging up on right. it. Like the media would be talking about her, how irresponsible and dangerous all of her well, ideas they, they and did plans are. Yeah, they did. In. And yeah. powwow chow. Like, and, and powwow chow and all that. Like, and she is the beneficiary of a very concerted effort to yeah. nullify Sanders right. and defang any kind of nascent left wing populism in the Democratic Party. Right. Well, third way. Remember, they said that she was like they urged people not to follow her and de Blasio off the off the cliff, populist right. cliff. They said that in what 2016, and now yeah, no, they no, would no, endorse no. anyone except for Sanders. I'm yeah, getting no, a no, very Matt Bennett, right? The co-founder yeah. was yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah. He was, was talking about how yeah. Yeah, she was a compromise. I'm just candidate. I'm I'm you know I'm I'm. Doing in the Karnak, I have the envelope to my head, and I just have a, I have a vision of w- Elizabeth Warren and Pete Buttigieg as, oh, no. as a ticket. I mean, that I'm not trying so to will it to happen. That's Bernie so Sanders triggering. will be the nominee. He will be our next president. Just really, really quickly, there's been a whole succession of these uh, articles from New York Times uh, op-ed writers, and they're all kind of complaining that oh, yeah. um, people who aren't big-time op-ed columnists or random people on Twitter or whatever. The, 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 the core complaint seems to be that other people besides us 
get to have an opinions Say, now. Yeah. I, I feel like they're kind of partly talking about people like you when 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 not, they're, they're they're you know they're they're talking ostensibly about people on Twitter. But I think what they're really resenting is that there are these other voices that are right. rising up from the internet that get more traction than they are. Yeah. I mean, do do you, do you get? Oh, it? yeah. I mean, I I even said it about the David Brooks piece. Oh, did you? Yeah. I was like, I I'm I am the sick and spiteful young man that I'm writing about. <laughs> except the difference is instead of miserable obscurity, I'm getting paid. Uh-huh. Right. Yeah, 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 rich, exactly, motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I mean, like all, all these people, like uh, like Barry Weiss or whatever, oh, who have you know, uh, all, like, David Brooks. I mean, I'm talking about the or the younger generation of, right. like, of like you know opinion people who have, I'm sorry, kissed the asses of like the most evil people alive to get their little share of the of the discourse or whatever. Right. And then lo and behold, it finds out that like you can also have a very successful career just calling them an asshole on Twitter because <laughs> like that's how popular it is to just defame and mock these yeah. people. Right. That's how, that's, like, that's how little people take you seriously because like, you know, uh, like Barry Weiss or Doubt That or whatever, like if they... Oh, yeah fill a crowd of people for like to talk about one of their books they're all going to be their parents age right you know what i'm saying like they don't have peers that respect them or like them or just be like hey great column i really liked it right 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 they, like they don't get any of that they get the, they get a pat on the head from you know the david coke's ghost or whatever your yeah, pinch salzberger or yeah, whatever exactly. It is. Yeah, exactly. Like, exactly these are real people meanwhile um, over here there are people who are getting paid large amounts of money just to call you an asshole yeah right? exactly, yeah, exactly. Yeah. so i think that's what they're talking about yeah, yeah. you know but also with with david brooks you got to understand and and Matt, I know you're a David Brooks scholar. <laughs> and I think like I've, after reading him and making fun of him for as long as I have, the thing you have to understand is that every David Brooks column is about himself. Right. And like people like the new one, like attention haters, like this is I'm going to ventriloquize one of my Internet, uh, you know, abusers or whatever. All this stuff about. You know, like uh, feeling rejected and I, I can't trust adults and what is it to be a man? He's only talking about himself. Right. There is no David Brooks column that exists outside of the world of his own sense of sort of shame and embarrassment about his own life. Right, right. I mean, doesn't it doesn't it read to you like the love song of J. Alfred David Brooks? Like, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's totally like I should have been a pair of. I mean, like it's it's he's trying to channel some anti-hero literary fantasy yeah, when he's yeah. doing it. It's like really sad. Yeah, but do you want to before we wrap up really quickly? Do you want to read one of your favorite sentences from that? Just full disclosure, we used to in the, my previous podcast, the Tarful Report, we used to read David Brooks on helium, <laughs> uh, but we, you know, Alex and I discovered that that. You know, wasn't so good for your brain. Causes brain damage. Causes brain yeah. damage. So it was, it was kind of like a, you know the equation didn't. Also, really work. the world is running out of healing. <laughs> right. So we should be more more frugal with uh, how we use this wonderful gas. That's right. Yeah. So we figured we'd do the 21st century version. We found an app that distorts your voice. So we, you know, do you want to give a shot at reading the new uh, David Brooks column? In, in the, there's a couple of effects here. We yeah. got robot. We got guitar. guitar yeah, songify. So let, yeah. let's, let's do it. Let's give it a shot. Let's spit. All right. When I was younger, my eyes pleaded. Tell me what adulthood and manhood are supposed to look like. All you said was, you can be anything you want to be. How does that help? You told me I was special, but the world goes on as if I don't exist. When I was younger, my eyes pleaded, tell me what adulthood and manhood are supposed to look like. All you said was, you can be anything you want to be. How does that help? You told me I was special, but the world goes on as if I don't exist. We have to do karaoke letters. <laughs> Holy with this. shit, that's like a that's Devo amazing. song. Yeah. That's, that's perfect. Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly. so good. Yeah. I'm really excited. Freedom about that. of choice. <laughs> yeah, that is great. Freedom that's of choice. Really good. I am a sick man. I am a spiteful man. I am an unattractive man. I believe my liver is diseased. I'm a sick man. I'm a spiteful man. Oh, I'm okay. a- <laughs> you want to do one? Yeah. Uh, okay. 
I'm one of those fanatics on the alt-right and the alt-left, the ones who make online forums so vicious, the ones who cancel and call out, the minority of online posters who fill the air with hate. I'm one of those radicals whose rage is intertwined with psychological fragility, whose anger at real wrongs is corrupted by my existential panic about myself. Okay. I'm one of those fanatics on the alt-right and the alt-left, the ones who make online forums so vicious, the ones who cancel and call out the minority of online posters who fill the air with hate. I'm one of those radicals whose rage is intertwined with psychological fragility, whose anger at real wrongs is corrupted by my existential panic about myself. That's real. This is going to be so good. We got to songify it, like the Charlie Sheen thing, you know? Yeah, Yeah. and we have to do a video with his face, like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, with the, yeah, that would be great. That'd be great. Um, Will, awesome. Thank you so much for coming in. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Listen, you want to get the paperback for the book coming out soon, right? So you got to plug something. Paperback for The Chapel Guide to Revolution will be out in October. Woo. Just be on the lookout for that. Yep, yeah, let us know and we'll, uh, you know, if you have an opening here in, in Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, okay. Excellent. Thanks yeah. so much for coming by. You can read the whole book with that. Cheers, guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's actually the audio book version yeah, is all, all that. <laughs> all right, thank you thank so much. You. That was great. It was great. Yeah. Um, thanks for listening to Useful Idiots. Yeah, thanks for listening to the Useful Idiots and thank you, Will Meneker, for talking to us. Oh, rate and review us. Rate, review, subscribe. Because oh, yeah, yeah, okay. we got to bring down Pod Save America. Right. Yeah. Okay. Rate and review us because we've... What? Why again? Because we got to... <laughs> because we need to, among other reasons, we got to beat Pod Save America. That's right. like my big goal in life. To beat Pod Save America? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Because if not, then you let the Pod Save Americas win. Right. <laughs> I'm Michael Toscano, hoping you'll join me on the First Light Podcast. We get to the heart of the event shaping our world as our correspondents check in and we talk with newsmakers and people who can take us behind the headlines. The First Light Podcast, wherever you get podcasts.